millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, this is Jesse Katz. Welcome back to Soul Sisters for Billboard. I appreciate you guys tuning in. It is uh, now, I think, officially entering into what we call the dog days of summer, at least here in New York. This week, I know we're still only in June. There's plenty of summer to come and the temperatures could get a lot higher. But I have not lived in New York in the summer in several years and I forgot what happens. It uh, gets a little funky out there. And speaking of funk, our guest today, Kendra Foster, um, is an amazing singer-songwriter. Among many of her amazing accolades and bullet points on her resume, uh, I will say she co-wrote much of and sang on much of D'Angelo's Black Messiah album um, from 2014, which is one of the most beloved albums across any genre, I would say, of recent memory. Um, And why I mentioned funk earlier, Kendra is also a member of George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic. She sang with his band for many years, and uh, she explains to us what it means exactly to be a funkadelic. It's not just specifically someone who sings with that group of people, although she is one of those, uh, one of those amazing worshipable few um although few is actually not the right word it's kind of a giant collective but anyway um she she referred to people here and there as being funkadelic as as if it's a a character trait so i asked her at some point you know what what exactly does that mean because in my mind i'm thinking that's the coolest way you could possibly describe somebody if you don't have to be a singer to be described that way i want to be described that way so what does it take um and she broke it down for us and um she used beyonce and rihanna as examples of how you can be funkadelic or not funkadelic so uh anyway she's awesome um she also sings a song for us from her new self-titled album that's just coming out so uh so make sure you listen through to the end to hear that and uh i don't know i i I can't add anything cooler than kendra foster being on soul sisters so let's just get to it here's kendra uh well hey guys hi (laughs) how's it going everybody (laughs) great great good morning it's beautiful (laughs) it is it's serious summer I left New York a week ago and it was barely spring. Oh my God. It was barely spring like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's sunny and warm. Yeah. Are we happy about it or are we scared? We might be scared because this is only just the beginning. And you know, June ain't no punk. That's true. I know what's coming. Yeah. Or it's going to go straight to winter in like another week. Are just you the type that through. likes it when it's like gloomy and rainy so that you can stay inside and do work? Without feeling like... Okay, sometimes I am definitely that person. If I wake up the wrong way, I definitely don't want... 
I want the day to reflect how I feel. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but I'm from Florida, so I love sunshine. So, you know, <laughs> when I do get out of my house, I enjoy the sunshine yeah. <laughs> and the warmth. How long have you lived here for? Seven, eight years now. Okay. Yeah. About seven years. Yeah. Seven, How long did it take you to adjust to the weather? I was surprised. I was surprised. At first, I was frightened because when the <laughs> fall started creeping in, my girlfriend had also moved up from down south, and she was like, we're never going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, like, that big blizzard of 2010 hit me when I came here. I got stuck in it outside. Um, so after oh. that, I was pretty well adjusted. I even found much later because, you know, the once they cleared the snow, it was banked up like seven feet high. I lost the leg warmer in it because it was up to my <laughs> oh, knees, no. you know, and I was walking down the center of Franklin Avenue, you know, where all the buses run. No, it was like apocalypse. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like when it, when it all unfroze in the springtime, I found my... <laughs> I you found, found my it? leg warmer. It's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. In Brooklyn. Did you wear it again? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazingly, I was like, you know, it's weird. You're just like, you know, trying to take it. And it still smells like fabric softener and everything. Oh of course, God. I had to wash it. But it was that frozen in the snow. That's it was crazy. frozen in ice. Like, yeah, luckily it was preserved. All, all the yellow <laughs> snow, as Frank Zappa would say, probably had cleared away by the time it had melted. And it melted like, into your leg, leg warmer. warmer. Yeah. Okay, it's not filthy. Wow, <laughs> we can wash it five times. That's yeah. a good sign. If someone a transplant from Florida, leg warmer, so it means something. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, remember how I lost all my rings? Yeah. And I like was trying to read meaning into it. Yeah. I was doing laundry a couple weeks ago, and I just found one of my rings in the laundry basket, and I was like, oh, oh no, there wasn't any meaning behind <laughs> it. This was not symbolic. Laundry basket, clean, fresh. I don't know. We can, yeah, we can <laughs> do this forever. Add some new metaphor. To Clear it. away. Yeah, right. <laughs> Back what you need. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I like artists that. like to that. do. Find yeah. meaning. <laughs> Indeed. Man. All right. Speaking of meaning, can I just jump right in with? Um, sure. I was so excited to read this, and then I broke it up, and then I so I could read it. What's the name of your first album? Oh, my very first album. You're gonna try to say it too. You want to try to say it? Okay, oh, so try to say it. Say it. Go. Go for it. Myriad morphonic biocorpo melodic reality shapeshifter. That's it. Wait, really? Yeah. Well, it was named. No, no, by you say it. <laughs> Myriad morphonic biocorpo melodic reality shapeshifter. <laughs> I haven't said it in a while. My I, goodness, I cheated. That was Why? my that was my debut album many 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 years ago. That didn't wow. wasn't released on a wide level, but. You know, uh, George Clinton and one of the artists of the many amazing album covers, including mine for that album, uh, Overton Lloyd, gave it that super califragilistic, expialidocious, <laughs> P Funk style right. name. And I felt like kind of honored to be donned with one of those. They you know? gave that name. Yeah, yeah. George did. George gave yeah, it. Yeah, he named the album. Cool. And it was after what they did was they took a lot of either Latin roots or derivatives of things that all meant, you know, what was going on with me or my persona. And I'm pretty eclectic. And so, and I do change it up even vocally. And so, yeah, they, they melodic, myriad, morphonic. I can't remember what some of those meanings were. I was a bio corpo, life and something. I don't know. Melodic <laughs> reality shapeshifter. Yeah. So dope. I just feel like an idiot because I looked at that title a lot and I didn't see any words in it. 
And like, I'm pretty good at those word puzzles. Bio, I broke it up. I wouldn't have. You have to like, yeah. Yeah, but I I just assumed it was unpronounceable. (laughs) I was going to ask you to do it. And I thought you'd be like, that's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what we're talking about here. You're not supposed to pronounce it. It's bigger than that. But man, that's a big album too. Yeah. Yeah, it's like super produced and super, super big. Lots of guess like tons of things happening it's like yes. really big sounds lots of like crazy arrangements i mean <laughs> we'd be like oh that was just like some little thing that i did and george clinton <laughs> named it oh no big deal like, pretty major yeah. also he was in your kickstarter video he was in my kickstarter look we're a family you know that was the beauty of it i feel like he signed me first really before i was ever in the band um and then uh then he was definitely like my mentor and through all the process and just kind of helping me grow up in this industry so you know i'm blessed that i can call on him you know (laughs) i mean i can go back home and play with them whenever you know whenever well provided there's space (laughs) and is there a cap on those bands i feel like I feel like they can go as big as you want. Well, we, you know, we can sometimes. I, I feel like that's almost been the goal throughout. Because sometimes you're like, "Yo, can we thin the herd?" But no, you know. You know. <laughs> no, How but, many have um, there been since you? Oh my gosh! Joined? Oh my goodness! I mean, no, currently, two of his younger granddaughters are singing with them. They're awesome. They, they're a group themselves so called cool. Candy Apple Red. I mean, there's been so many. I mean, I won't say there's been so 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 many that you couldn't like kind of denote and era or whatever but even since me there's been you know a good few new ones to come in maybe up to five and you know consistently there tends to be at least 20 people you know at a time i don't know where they're at right now but (laughs) still a lot of us (laughs) how many play together at any given time would you say most of the time it is about that many of us on stage you know um at one time i remember when i was the band let's say we had like four or five background singers then you know gary and george at the lead and like three guitar players two bass players two drummers and yeah of course the drummers switch out because we will have two sets and you know bass players will switch out but and two keyboard players a horn section you know almost a full horn a full horn section for a long time um so four players you know so it, it wow. stacks up and we typically uh one lady when we were in London at the airport she's like how many of them are you you don't even know you don't even know like what we know there's like 20 ducks here yeah, yes. that takes yeah. touring to a whole new level it's a that's, like, that's like a product like a Broadway show it is that's like, like a, a Broadway show, show. you know it's it, not it, a band when I was in Vegas I met one of Rihanna's roadies and he was like she employs 88 people to travel around with her Wow. Yeah, like yeah. wow. I mean, that's I a, guess, yeah. I guess with a big show with dancers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole other thing, you know. And then you but, know if yeah, if you have yeah, true. But like just like all f- musicians, just <laughs> yeah. that's, that's so a, fun. <laughs> it is, and I would say you know, um, for a lot of reasons, I I wouldn't recommend that everybody have a twenty six member band. But I feel like what I love about George is that. You know, somebody has to have something like that, you know, something like that should exist. And I think he's very adamant about that. Like he won't 
um, scale down to a certain amount and many people have tried to get them to do so but you just wouldn't have the magic and like when you hear the compositions of the very vast catalog that P-Funk has there's so many parts being played so I mean you probably could add five more players right. to play all the parts and mm -hmm. they're very important parts they're not just a ding or a triangle here and there <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so. do you wow. still get to play with them at all oh yeah, yeah. i sat in probably uh, i want to say it was only a few months ago at bb king's maybe more at the crux of winter to spring uh-huh yeah because let's see it would have been right before i left to go to the grammys like it was like february 9th or something i went over there and played with them or oh, man <laughs> you've had such a whirlwind <laughs> yeah <recently. laughs> quite a year <laughs> Yes. Oh are there rehearsal? Are there many rehearsals for P-Funk? Okay. Yeah, like P-Funk, no. no. Um, okay. <laughs> when at a long time ago, like probably when motherships were landing on stage and didn't want to be out of place when stuff is like flying all over the place. So you don't die. Yeah, so so everything was hyper arranged and there were all these vocal arrangements and rehearsals and things like that. But by the time I'd come in, you know, I kind of, I was already a fan, so I knew a lot, but I still had to study and like, look at the arrangements and talk to different members of the band and you know these guys have been doing this forever and they're like grown-up hippies like actually I like to say Peter Pan and the Lost Boys you know George took them scooped most of them off when they were 16 they never grew up you yeah. know they were just rock stars forever so um so you know somebody might tell you three different parts you know for whatever but it was just it was a lot to take in but we didn't really have rehearsals unless we had a real significant like a uh, show or something that we would have to kind of get tight for but you really had to get in where you fit in and I mean y'all want to be sinking okay. yeah <laughs> so I had to figure it out for myself and that's very different from like rehearse like with D like we're very tight like sure. rehearsal 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 so mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of intuition there too <laughs> yeah and everywhere everywhere yeah. I get so would you say that was kind of your musical education? I would say it had a large part. It had a lot to do with it because I spent a lot of time there, you know, before I've gotten a chance to kind of break out on my own. So I would say a lot of my musical education came from P-Funk, you know, watching and from all sides, you know, watching George as a leader, watching all the genius of each individual player, even all the way down to like going to each player and getting chords, like when I was called myself learning guitar. Um, but like just life you know in general living life and trying to manage all of this frequency of art and what's coming through you as a vessel mm -hmm. and you know i learned how to party yeah. <laughs> I, I was, was already say, on my still... way i was pretty young when i started so I was... it was a proper <laughs> education <laughs> but they know hard still? <laughs> no i don't think so i think that like you know when i came in it was i felt like i was the old person in the room you know everybody was still living life to the fullest but now i think you know um, but folk have calmed down, you know, uh, musicians, it was like, it's so much, it's so much internally to manage, but then I guess you get to a point where just like when I first started college, like by the second semester, the part, you know, all the party stuff is and like going out all the time. It's like, gets old fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, not for them, but for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in college in Tallahassee? Yes, I was. Okay. I grew up in Tallahassee and I basically grew up on the campus because my, my dad taught, he was a math professor at FAMU from the time I was born all the way until like only about 10 years ago now, maybe seven, he'd retired finally. And my mother was actually an English professor there, but she'd gone on into administration, become presidents of college and everything. And my other mom was a career counselor there while I was in high school. So like I, I grew up on the campus and still wanted to go. 
<laughs> but <clears throat> it was fam you it's like it was like when you started watching a different world and i was like oh my god that's fam you i would have gone like a different world like, oh, was I I grew- oh my gosh i mean and, and that's why i love that show because it really did show you what what hbcu you know historically black college life was like you know i mean you had a set it was the pit we called it the set it was the pit on a different world where everybody kind of comes to like on friday and vendors and blah 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 but but it's a, it's a very very deep school i think it goes overlooked a lot i mean of course we have the legacy of the marching 100 and then um <clears throat> But our engineering program is is awesome. Actually, my manager graduated. I got his degree from that program. Yeah, ha <laughs> ha. I've called him out. Um, <laughs> he was actually also a student of my father at some point. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, and and so and we have a great pharmacy program. Our business program is crazy. People come from all over to go to it. So it's the little school on the hill. And you were studying math. <laughs> I started out as a math major. You know, I was a very practical young person, even from eighth grade. Like when they came and talked to us about the statewide scholarships and what you had to do in the curriculum and the criteria and the SAT scores. I did all that and I had two scholarships, but one of one of my scholarships was based on being a science, engineering, math, or chemistry major. Mm. And, you know, you didn't go to FAMU, like, discounted, like, you, or free, like most states' colleges. My dad just was privy to that. So I was like, you know what, this music thing or art of any kind, as much as I was an artist... <laughs> I was like, it's not very practical. You know, I don't know where it's going to go. So I'll build a studio when I get my house and my degree <laughs> and my solid salary. And With that math so, money. Right. <laughs> and that, right. <laughs> so that's so that was still a little. Like, but then I switched to chemistry because I wanted to make it more interesting and then back to math. And then I had like a nervous breakdown. And it, what it like made me do was like I had to go back to school slow and only take classes. My mom was like, just take stuff that feels good. You know, so I was taking art classes and music classes. And then one of my homeboys, Whitney Russell, was like, you know, whatever you want to do, you got to give it 100 percent. And backup plans are great, but sometimes they don't make you put everything into the front plan. And, you know, if you want to dedicate 100 percent of your time and you still got to satisfy getting a piece of paper for everybody else, maybe you spend all your time studying music, you know. And I just realized, like, how old were you when he gave you that advice? Oh, my God, I was probably 20 maybe 2021 20, 20 yeah and and so it was just like god writhed practicality from my hands <laughs> and you know was like okay i guess this might this, now looking back i'm like okay i guess this is my destiny yeah <laughs> but when yeah. did the music and the singing start for you well i had already started singing i mean i started singing of course like many people in church my mother actually has a very beautiful voice uh-huh. and my the, both my parents have a great appreciation for music so i started singing in church yeah and i would do like musicals and in elementary school i would like try out for the musicals and being those and mm-hmm. then you know after a while i think i just i was just on my own you know i didn't have many outlets after finishing off musicals and not doing choir much anymore so by the time I got to college I just like I went to one good straight ahead jazz jam session where they never had singers come up and I had just since I was 16 I was listening to a lot of I don't know musicals led me to jazz strangely yeah. mm-hmm. and so oh, I abandoned musicals and was like this jazz thing is great <laughs> so you know I was already listening to like Sarah Vaughn and Dinah Washington and you know I hadn't really gotten to Billie Holiday and Ella was was like 
seemed to be a very obvious place. And so, mm-hmm. of course, you know, she was there, too. But those were really my starts. So by the time I got there, you know, I, I was like, well, can I sing something? Because it was everybody was just doing spoken word or the band was playing. And I called Lullaby of Birdland and the band members were like, Okay, because usually someone would say like my funny Valentine or summertime or something yeah. if they would even come up at right. all. But or or like at that time, Erica Badu had just pretty much come out, so everybody was trying to sing, you know, really? um, wow, those songs. But but so they the jazz players like they took me in, you know. They the next time I showed up, a bass player gave me a whole tape of like vocalists like Betty Carter and 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 hearing and even a mixture of. Uh, instrumentalist and so like that's what really made me realize like music is real people do this for a living and I don't know if I want to bank my whole life on like the gigging thing but Mm -hmm. it opened up the door so yeah then then I had been singing all that time as a matter of fact I had even maybe at this point once I got in with the band, I met Whitney Russell, who was the keyboard player, and then he was he was staying with the funk player, and so I hadn't been in anybody's band or anything after this jam session rollback to that, and um, when I met the two of them, I ended up in Mike's band, Michael Patterson's band called Smoke, and it was the funk band, and then not long after that, Whitney would call me to the gigs to like you know, sit in and help him wrap up things and plug stuff up because he was really teaching me everything about the bandstand, you know, and how how to be more of a musician singer. So were you still in college at this point? I was still in college studying math and I was studying math and chemistry. I mean, I hadn't quite flipped over yet. I don't think I hadn't had my little nervous breakdown and everything to be like, I want to hear about the nervous breakdown. You know what it is? I think, you know, everybody probably reaches a crux like in their life where you know maybe things become overwhelming but I I've come to believe that it was just the agitation that was required in the multiverse to get me to change Mm -hmm. you know Um, me feeling the disruption of not connecting to my destiny like probably made I just really just was like I can't do it I was going I was working I was probably doing a couple little gigs here and there at this point. Still, I'm like 20, 21, maybe not even 21 yet. And I mean, I was working. I was I was like a clerk. I was I was I was filing and copying at the Department of Corrections. I was going wow. to FAMU. I was I was probably I was in a dance company at FAMU Orcas's oh, yeah? Contemporary Dance Theater because I was okay. We'll go back. Yeah. I was a ballerina for like 11 years up Whoa. until high school. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to think that I was. Well, regardless of how good you were, that is a serious hobby. I studied. I actually gave up one of my piano lessons to take on an extra day of dance when I was younger. My parents hated that. (laughs) But but yeah, by the time I got to college, I was also and see this 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 dance company had ballet as well. But there was all this diasporic dance, like African diasporic dance and modern dance, which I'd never touched. I'd always had my feet turned out, not ever (laughs) for enforced arch. Didn't know what that meant. (laughs) But I became so I was doing all those things and I had a wonderful boyfriend who was like perfect, you know, on paper, everything was like, but I just I I guess something just really shook up in me. And so I even had retroactively withdraw for a semester 
and um, come back. And that's when I just kind of the whole fo- I didn't have a choice but to shift my focus. I was still thinking I was going to go back hard, yeah. but. How, how much oh, sorry, <laughs> how much was it sort of an upbringing and just this like preconceived idea that this is you're gonna do something practical something well you know I think I imposed that on myself because you know my parents were very cultural and artistic and um, and they would tell me I could do anything that I wanted to do. They would be realistic and say, well, you know, the music thing, I don't know, really. But still, by all means, do what you... But I think that just watching them um, ha- be able to provide, like, a middle class, you know, very comfortable uh, life for me, like, I just was like, wow, you know, I don't really want to be a starving artist. I mean, I've been doing this thing for a long time, and I have struggled, but... You know, that wasn't the aim. I, I did want a quality of life. But 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 art just took over. And so all those ideas of maybe the more, I wouldn't even say easier way to get it, because who knows what's easy anymore? You know, you get your degree, and who knows if you're going to get a job, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, or the job that you got your degree for and spent all the money. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so at, at this time, like, I was doing all those things and working. And it's, it's funny because not long after I chose jazz studies and commercial music, Music, you know, George moved to town. So all of this is still like early 20s, nothing young, nothing older than 22. Um, but I was gigging pretty early because I would say like if I started school when, in my freshman year, I had already met the musicians. So probably by sophomore, whether I was breaking down or not, I was doing little gigs here and there. But by the time I got and met George, uh, through actually people in the community, through one of the pe- women I danced with who headed up his uh, nonprofit, and one of, um, and then my boy Michael Patterson, who had the funk band that taught me everything about George in the first place. And I became a, a fast fan anyway. I'd just become this fast, obsessive fan because rolling back, <laughs> you know, it's funny the progression because, you know, as much as jazz and then Stevie Wonder and all the soul that I loved, by the time. D'Angelo came out it was like I was in love with jazz I was I was hip-hop was coming into my repertoire being a little R&B girl and and also being in the south because you didn't really get a lot of hip-hop there was rap and like you know bass or whatever we call it but so so then here comes this dude that comes out with like this jazz sounding hip-hop thing and still wearing timbos and everything and I was just like wow that's really cool it's a young person little did I know because I didn't know about the funk like that you know I wasn't even on Prince like that till I got to college and met my Orcas's contemporary dance theater members and they were going crazy because Prince was coming to Tallahassee and I was <laughs> uh-huh. like Prince what? and so then they put me on and then I became like an obsessive Prince fan so it's like I went Did you back see him live? no I didn't I didn't go because I still didn't get it you oh, know yeah. but I but it, you know all with all these people but like with Prince and and P-Funk it was like when I went into the inner albums and got around the big big hits I mean some mm-hmm. of those hits now of course I love but like that's when I fell in love with both of them but it was like like backwards d mm. you know yeah. prince then george and then like once i by the time i got to p-funk i shouldn't just say george because it's all a parliament funkadelic that's definitely is important he'll tell you that too um i was done with everybody else you know like i was an obsessed <laughs> the heartland fan. Yeah. and so i would just go out there like yet again back to the 20s back to still working some and, and then at this point i was uh doing telemarketing 
and gigging very heavily and um maybe still in a dance company but gigging in what kinds of places oh my god dives yeah okay (laughs) some some being the biggest like little spots like I, i played with this group called fish and grits who <laughs> who actually became like one of the most popular bands in Tallahassee at the time because you know we played this spot that wasn't even open on Fridays Yanni's and then they would have a line around the corner because the band really was good but I mean we'd play those type of you know like and then Tallahassee's a college town so I could I played sushi bars <laughs> I played you know behind the plants at somebody's yeah. corporate gig yeah. like I played so what kind of stuff were you playing oh my gosh so then I was doing I was in the funk band so I was doing a lot of funk and then yeah. jazz straight ahead jazz um sometimes on these gigs and sometimes we would get to do like a little bit of jazz and more contemporary stuff so that would be like all what was being called neo soul back then yeah. so a lot of erica jill mm-hmm. and then anything that just sounded between jazz and r&b so that's what i'd be doing at a lot of those gigs and then i even got with a group called rasta funk <laughs> which one of my best friends headed up and it was like afro beat you know, reggae, funk, and soul. So, <laughs> meanwhile, at school, singing, you know, classical or art, or better said, art music, or um, and and all that great stuff. Because so, you had switched already to yeah, music switched major. switched to my music major, so I had vocal, you know, requirements, and it was required to be in concert choir for like so many semesters, and you know, then you're doing juries. I know what a jury was, you know, uh, having to show up and have everybody look at you while you perform whatever. And was um, there like transcribing music oh and gosh, writing all it out? Of, all of all that. that. I mean, that was the thing. I'd never encountered theory until I got uh, to, to college. So, but tr- crossing over from mathematics made theory very easy in yeah. a lot of ways. Like that, and then the places where I struggle to math, like fractions, is where I'd have issues like notating <laughs> rhythm, mm-hmm. you know. But interbolic relationships and like you know arranging and voice leading, none of the stuff of which I can remember anymore. I mean, I've made it up to really high level theory and jazz theory and jazz arranging, but I had a, there was only one small handicap that I'd somehow been able to conceal. Amazingly enough, was that I couldn't notate rhythm. I could write everything else. Huh, I could I could uh, transpose like from you know French horn or. Something something is like a six below the concert note and all that type of stuff or something like I don't <laughs> but just that type of information I had it all and then it's just crawled to the recesses of my brain because it's such a language and I'm not like writing out you know sheet music or writing out my I, it helped with jazz yeah, do you th- I mean it must have been because now with helpful. jazz I would have to like write out like little like quick charts with the changes or the chord you know the chords and if I wanted to do a song in a different key I mean that was what I loved was having the those musicians around be like if you want to get respect you don't show up not knowing what key your song is in and if you want to do a different key than the standard key then you might want to bring some sheet music to throw at everybody so they don't have to transpose it in their mind (laughs) and so yeah but you know before I got into the jazz studies program I keep mentioning Whitney Russell and Michael Patterson because they were my my mentors but Whitney we would go every day to FSU's library because they had a lot more stuff there. And he was to be like, we'll pick an artist like Jimmy Heath or Wayne Short or, or Freddie Hubbard for that week. And we'd check out everything they had on them in a box. They let us. We'd walk uh-huh. out with 100 CDs, make mixtapes. You know, so everything wasn't always great just because it was on Blue Note or whatever. But, uh-huh. but, but you know, amazing stuff. And so... The, one of the teachers saw me doing that. And so when it came time for me to do jazz studies, they didn't really have any vocalists. They might have had one because they didn't have like the pedagogy or they didn't have what they needed 
completely to train someone if they'd not had. So they made an exception wow. and allowed me to to do it. And so I became a part of the jazz band. So I, I sing um, with the big band there as well. And so and that can be really intimidating yeah. for, <laughs> a, for a, a soul ah. one singer. Oh my gosh! I and, think somebody in a man's on world. The yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, oh. in a man's world, completely. And when they're young and in college, just. Yeah, yeah. Musicians, you. I mean, you have to pay yourself so hard. <laughs> like, but oh you were you were gosh. working really hard. Yes, like, I really was. I mean, I had help because I had people to remind me that was important, and you know, I didn't even know. But but I mean, I I, I actually I actually missed the chance to go with George to not necessarily work with Lenny Kravitz, but meet him because I was feverishly running off copies of like pages out of a fake book or a real book like to get my you know repertoire together yeah <laughs> so I mean I was I was going hard in the paint like I, <laughs> I definitely like you know committed myself to trying to to create that self-discipline because it was a fun kind of competition I mean when different in improv and stuff especially I really tried to grow myself up with that I mean I have to go back to work on it but you know everybody's chatting yeah, how is because I yeah. know you oh do that how I was, was that so intimidated by it at first you know <laughs> well and being the only singer it's not like you had other singers <laughs> with which to like yeah there were, you know there were they teach pair, scatting but, or it's just like you just well you know what that was that that was the thing without them having a special vocal teacher to teach you that they, that's why they probably wouldn't take in many vocal students but I had you know I would go into the improv class with the other external instrumentalists and you know he could tell me like what syllables to sing on and but like most of it was me imitating and like getting notes from my other fellow players like hey well you know run through these scales that'll probably help you get this or try running this over these chords or do you, you have know, like whatever. a natural ear for like changes and I do I do I don't have perfect pitch or anything like that but I would say that I definitely have a decent ear as a matter of fact my vocal teacher was like your ear is too good it's making you do whatever <laughs> it takes to produce the sound and you're not doing like it properly so like w when you're supposed to sing and your voice is supposed to drift over your soft palate and do all this stuff that yeah. anatomically I could be the only thing I'd know about the body at this point in life <laughs> thanks to that um you know there's certain things that are supposed to happen so your voice stays around and and it's like when, when my ear I guess being decent I would just try to make the note by any means necessary mm. and that's not right you know mm -hmm. that's how you'll lose your voice really fast and so you know I think it is and I definitely know that I think I, I have a pretty natural inclination towards harmonies too I think growing up growing up in the black church really is like there's an there's a, a naturalness towards that that like breaking up into three-part harmony or different harmonies and things like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's helpful were your parents are your parents religious like uh, what what how big of a figure was the church in your family growing oh my up? gosh well i will say i wouldn't say that they're religious like uh but they're very spiritual mm -hmm. and i think that um my parents were also kind of good at like uh moving through regimens or just having a routine mm -hmm. so like every sunday we yeah. went and my father had become a deacon in the church and it was kind of interesting because like my little white daddy became a deacon in the black church and um way early like you know and probably when i was still like four or five i don't even know if my brother was here yet because he's five years younger and so um we were there every sunday it was very rare that we would miss 
You know, even if one of the parents wasn't going, but yeah. that was very rare, too, because my mother was a junior matron and my other mom um, became one as well. And so, uh, yeah, everybody's very spiritual. And we were pretty regular with our church attendance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so your dad's white and your mom is what? Is black or okay. African-American. Um, how, how was that for them? Because my limited experience in Florida <laughs> makes me think that would not be an easy place. Well, starting with the fact that my mother is from Mississippi. My mom mm. is from Mississippi. So she already had had a very interesting experience. I don't even know whether they would have enforced it or not that it was legal when they mm. got married because yeah. that was in the 70s. So um it wasn't, I don't think, I think they definitely went through the natural things that people go through, and, and particularly in the South. I mean, yeah. I think there's totally a much more subtle version of what we experience in the South up North, but um, but yeah, I mean, it was... Yeah, it's still here, for sure. Yeah. Just less overt, maybe. <laughs> Just not as, not as obvious, not yeah, as easy yeah. to tell, so at least yeah. you know what you're dealing with. Um, but but it was, it was interesting. I mean, I myself went through, you know, just like people... I think in what I witnessed more than like people being like, ah, you know, was curiosity. Right, like, what are you? Yeah, like, mm -hmm. where were you adopted? Or I didn't even know what that meant. And I was like, mom. Um, <laughs> uh, and then you know stuff like that. But but a lot of times I found I didn't have a tragic like story. A lot of people be like, wow, that's so cool. You like got two cultures and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it was. It what was, was your dad's background? So I believe we are English on that side. Mm -hmm. It's um and and fought you know foster being less actually uh we have one of the fosters drew uh, did a lithograph so i guess art goes back pretty far 1776 or something oh. like that so they came over pretty early yeah. in the game um, <laughs> <laughs> what did your grandparents think of your parents oh my gosh. yeah my relationship gran my grandparents incidentally were very cool you know on both on sides, both sides on yeah. both sides um um my my I never knew my dad's father but but his mother she was a little lady from what Rockport or somewhere up around you know New York up in the in the um upstate mm -hmm. a little bit and um and had moved to Brooklyn and had been through all that and then moved out to California and she just she didn't seem to have a problem and definitely my mom's parents so we were lucky like everybody well then too you know my other parents are also my my other father is white and my other mother mother is black and every, what does that mean your other parents? well my I don't I prefer not to say step you know, yeah, got it. that has some <laughs> implications. Unfortunately, yeah. we've just connotations. We've used it too badly, too often. But um, and they've fault. been with me for so long, and and so much we're a part of each other. But um, everybody's parents were cool, That's and most of us are from the south. Well, yeah. no, half of us, I guess. Like this. <laughs> when did your parents split? Um, I was about nine. Okay, and then uh, my dad immediately remarried, and I loved her like from the get go. From the get go, so she's still, you know, Mama Pookie. And um, so if you hadn't felt that way, you'd be very comfortable with the word stepmother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you know, the thing is, is I remember even one time, and it's such an interesting thing because you know, having two women or maternal figures that you love so much, and you know, one being your actual biological mother, but like. Like, I remember when her family had some disease, somebody had something and everybody had to do a blood test just to be sure. Of, I was like, man, I hate needles. 
you know, because I had totally forgotten that. I'm not, you know, we don't, you know, that's how close was, we are. It was like, that's yeah. your fam, that's your blood. Yeah, right. so, yeah, and I hadn't cool. even thought about it. Yeah, so I just, I was very blessed. You know, I have a, a very, very lovely family and support system. And so, I mean, there's a lot of us. Yeah. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of us. And each parent had no less than than one sibling, but, you know, my dad had was one of four and my mom is one of like seven and my other mom is one of ten so any musicians in the family yeah you know my my mom played a little guitar and plays piano actually a lot of the people a lot of her sisters can play piano I think they grew up um, playing that and then she tried to learn the guitar and so did my dad my dad tried to self-teach himself the guitar uh-huh, and keys and he has little jazz theory books that he must have picked up oh. along the way trying to learn you know he said he said he was telling something to me and I, I remember he's like you know I used to bounce you around to Coltrane and you know and I remember what we were I don't know if we were arguing about something he was like look ah no I used to but he got to see the people you know he went to Cal he went to Berkeley in California during the 70s there's even a little picture of him in the newspaper like total hippie like um, looking like shaggy Uh with the bike and so yeah he got to actually see Freddie Hubbard and Miles Davis and maybe even Coltrane yeah amazing all right so when you were introduced to george was that someone was like kendra has this amazing voice you got to meet her it was just like you're all hanging out together that it was more like a hey there's this girl you know like she really sings or she's great or whatever and i think that was that was probably the sentiment definitely behind the person who was would come to my dance class or who mm-hmm. and then my my homeboy like I'm sure he was just like oh girl Kendra you know she could sing blah 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 so I was it was a kind of a referral situation it was definitely a referral uh-huh. situation because when I finally did come up to the studio I was just like oh my god oh my god oh my god I think I grabbed somebody's beer like in the corner <laughs> before just to like calm the nerves down before like because George was like sitting in the room and you know it's that type of presence you know somebody's you know like that like it's just and the funny thing is you know he's like the sanest person in the room no matter what's going on no matter what over all the years he's doing you know and we know what I mean like you know he's always been the like usually the most calmest safest feeling you know wow. like down to earth person uh, yeah. around it's just usually. energy mm-hmm. yeah very solid cool. so yeah when i met i was just like you know <laughs> the studio but over time i would just go out to the studio whether he was there or not because they toured just like they're still touring now like 85 percent of the year and like i toured when i was with them so to, to catch him was was very interesting but then i also did a lot of work with his son tracy lewis trelude is what he goes by and he's he's brilliant genius um during a spring break of mine and they came back off the road and I played all that stuff for George. And then there was something else he'd actually assigned to me or given me a try at. So it was like a big deal that I had a chance to try something for him. And he, I guess he came back and he had already been like that thing that I did or that whatever it was. I don't even remember the song. But um, and then I showed him everything I had. And then his CAO, Archie Ivy, was like, you know, 
George feels like we'd be remiss if we don't sign you before you get out of Tallahassee. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what was this? You don't remember the stuff it was that you were. It was this one song. What was that song? Oh, gosh. So it wasn't stuff. It, was, it wasn't original. It was like. It was somebody's original. I think it was somebody in the band. It was something okay. that someone had written. And wow. I, I, it's crazy that I can't remember. It, it's probably because just so much has come around yeah, my mind. Sure. But, it, but it was something. It, I, mm. <laughs> That's okay. Anyways. Um, wow, and, man. And, so you're like yeah, 22, uh, Yeah, I'm like, pro- I, shoot, I had probably just turned 22 at this oh, point. Fuck. which is like i'm really telling my age right now but um (laughs) anyway so yeah i mean and it was amazing because you know i I never thought that that would happen because i just kind of felt like well he would have said something by now because i was working and i was coming out to that studio and being there for a while and you know i remember someone saying something to me like you think you know he's i was like look i'm not here to get put on because quite frankly i feel like if that was going to happen that would have happened by now i'm here just to be around greatness you know and to absorb it right. mm-hmm. and to like just be in the experience i mean who has this opportunity just to be next to it i don't care what happens from yeah, here right so you know then just so happened that they decided to sign me but you know i wasn't in the band mm-hmm. yet i, I so was what just, did that mean then so um signing um do you make a record yes so he signed me to a production deal and um we created that myriad morphonic biocarpo melodic reality shapeshifter and it was piece by piece it was like it might might be you know a producer he lined me up with or a writer he that was one of the albums that i didn't that was an album that didn't write much on because there was all these people already um there that we were just you know george would pick or this song or that and and after a while some of those songs you know were done on like ADATs so back in the day ADATs these big 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 tapes that are like VHS tapes which basically you you could take VHS tapes in and like click something out and put them in these machines but you know musicians we don't have much money we would just reuse them over and over again and so these so that's why the quality of production is very interesting because if that wasn't enough that we would need to clean up the tapes got stolen at some point you know when it came down for final so like so or the masters or something that we would have had more control over the recording were misplaced stolen or something so it was just kind of so it yeah, wasn't so a lot of computer it's not digital we're stuff. still using pro tools and things like for it's like I can't remember how quite it would work. We would use, I guess they would they would use it at the end, but no, we were we were doing we were doing I guess analog okay. and for all intents and purposes. But then it didn't feel like it because I think maybe right. Pro Tools was just starting to kind of come about or stuff what like that. Says? That would have been two thousand millennium at the time right. millennium so they might have had it in there but because george wasn't always there or whatever engineer that it would wasn't be there like for him, oh you know i hear strings right here let's just throw them in no 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 no, no. i wasn't wasn't gonna be that simple <laughs> we were gonna have to pl- well i mean you still have to plug in but um but yeah i mean somebody still have what was it the mp 
NPC, like like the the kind that I'm mm-hmm. very used to seeing all the time in there. So and and I remember very very specifically coming in and being like, do I have any more VHS tapes? You know, wow. for the ADAT machine. So. Um, but what came out of that was an album and then um, and I was signed to a deal and then I went on the road with them because I was such an obsessive fan. Um, and and I think I kind of pulled out. An ulti- <laughs> I used the, <laughs> one of one of my homeboys and I don't know how this would have come to fruition, but he I guess at the time, um, maybe at the time, Raphael had thought of Raphael Sadiq had thought about coming up with the group. I mean, it might have even just been a notion. It was after Lucy Pearl or whatever, and and my boy was like, well, you know, I got I got the sounds because I work with one of his production team. You know, for, that's who did my single and what's to be my album, a lot of my album. So he he told me they were looking, and I was told George, I was like, well, um, Raphael Sadiq is looking for folks, and I think I'm submitting. He's like, you going on the road with us? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. (laughs) So, (laughs) even if it wasn't true, even if I got the information wrong, (laughs) even if I... You know, good. or it, or whatever. You realize what you were doing? That's like that was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I totally did. I wanted to be in the band too. It wasn't That's enough awesome. just to have a record deal. So, um, so yeah, we toured, and then even when the the deal didn't quite, uh, well, no, it, it it came to fruition, and the album came to fruition, but we didn't release it on a wide scale. We released it through CD Baby, and so how did that happen? What what was the well process? I, well, it, it coming out or... Yeah, it sort of not having the release that you were... Oh, gosh. Well, you know, there was a lot going on. George was fighting for the rights back to his music. Lord, that just was a big piece of it. And, um, and he was fighting for the rights back to his music. He had just released, uh, I want to say, How Late Do You Have to Be Before You're Absent, which I had bounced to this. It was the single that I was featured on mm-hmm. it. I had other songs as well, but like that was gonna, we were going to share that single. That was going to be my single, too. So I think the plan was great. I know George really wanted to make me a star, you know. But like you're fighting for the rights back to your music, so there's all these court cases going on. Oh, you wow. put out your own album, which is two discs, you know, and we're doing um, talk shows and stuff. I even did, I did Jay Leno and uh, Carson Daly back then oh. leading the single Bounce to This because, you know, I guess that's what we were trying to do. Like, mm-hmm. let's go ahead, push her out front because she'll be next. Because mm-hmm. um, me and his granddaughter, Shonda Clinton, was she's a rapper and I was a singer. And it was like so perfect. We're right. only two weeks apart, whatever. Great. 
Um, and so, yeah, and and it just, I think it, it became too much. I think too much was going on, and there was a lot for administration to handle in every direction, and I think though we all meant well, it just didn't quite go out like mm-hmm. it was like I think any of us had intended and so How, was that a, I mean it sounded like so much was going on so it was okay <laughs> but I mean was that a disappointment I mean look I've been wanting to be Kendra Foster for a long time and that was the whole thing like mm-hmm. in the beginning was I signed to him first and um so it I mean, definitely the record got felt, made and it's, inc- yeah, it's it awesome made I mean, and it's like very I liked it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this wasn't just something slapped together. Like, yeah, this sounded was, like there's a lot of love and care into it. Oh my it. gosh. Over um, time. Yeah. yeah. It, it felt, I guess, you know what it felt like? It was one of those things where you're just like, dang, you know? You don't uh, blame anybody so much per se. You don't feel, but I just was kind of like, wow, what's, what's going on here? And even Shonda and I would try to supplement you know what was going on and just like you know help out and like you know put our do our own things and um and I mean everybody was trying real hard and it just didn't necessarily pan out because there came a point where you know I guess we just decided to take the reins the two of us and she even managed me for a while um and was great um and so we I just I just you know basically there's no love loss and I've decided to go on my own and I think maybe you know George had a lot so I don't even know re-signing we never really kind of even had that discussion and but I stayed in the band and you know he was definitely still my mentor like helping me out and I'd be running to him and asking him questions so we just kept it right on moving um but it but it did feel I felt scared I felt really scared. Like what's what? Yeah, like Like what? what This whole I had this work and now yeah. (laughs) I even I had a younger boyfriend at the time who's six years younger than me, but he was a jazz musician. And you know, one thing I have to say, I I appreciate definitely appreciate him for for as much as he broke my heart. I was is (laughs) that he was just like, look, I get it. It's bad or it's scary, and you don't know what to do because this ain't going on over here. And where are you at in your life and all this? He's like, but look, there's a lot of people that will want to work with you or want to do stuff like just when is well I want to hear the next time you talk to me is when is the next Kendra Foster show Mm. you know that's great and I was just like okay okay snap it out of it and I called all cars I called I by this time I had met you know known Wooten since I used you know that as bait but um (laughs) but but uh we had talked lots about working and he'd heard my production of Myriad Morphonic and so uh basically I called him I called Michael Patterson and I called a couple uh one other person but mainly what ended up happening is when Wooten and I got together he was just like look I'll just do you a three song demo just on the strength on the love whatever he probably would charge other people and he was like we just got to get together so when we did we did do the three songs and we might have done three more songs and you know he was talking with his manager and he was like let's just make an album let's just do an album like we're getting stuff done like Mm -hmm. and so basically what would happen this will segue us into where i'm at now (laughs) but um is you know and this was around like 2007 this far back so i would make like i would drive from tallahassee to alabama where wooten was in huntsville 
and um because he had a full studio and everything um and so i would go out i went out for like three days at a time um and we would i would come back with like three to four six songs like ready like out the door mixes would sound like they could almost go to radio that sounds really fast it was really fast it was writing yeah we were writing from scratch and it was just so crazy because just this just the chemistry like the way we work together because Mm -hmm. you know we'd go in there most of the stuff we do is like okay what do we start with and you know he may play a few chords and then i start dreaming up melodic things and then you know we figure out a change whether it's me melodically coming up to implying some chords and then he or he comes up with the chords and so we would build them from scratch and it's just like that writing experience was so amazing because i even probably looked crazy running around the room going back and forth to the bathroom drink coffee like <laughs> because it was just shooting through me the yeah. information was just coming through that's us. when you know that's it's feeling yeah right, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so after that first time we got together we did like by the time we'd done maybe two more three-day trips, because we could never get more in. Both of our schedules were so bad. Um, you know, we had like 12, 13 songs. And it was crazy. You know, like, it yeah. was, and they were good. And yeah. and only one of them really, you know, that probably is going to wind up on the album, one or two were just tracks he had previously that he decided to play. Because we just pretty much would always start. or Or every once in a while I may come in with a melody or some words or so mm-hmm. or something I already had and we'll start from there. Um, I love that phrase, the information was shooting through me. <laughs> like that's what it should feel like. Like yeah. you're transmitting from somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would prefer because I don't want to be responsible for it. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I'm just the messenger. Yeah. But are you not the type that'll, it's like happening at home so much or in the, wherever you are, but it's sort of in the moment when you're with musicians playing and that's when the lyrics come and that's when the melody comes, but they come so many ways. I mean, for one of my main songs, I was in the bathroom in the shower about to go to Wooten's house, like mad at this relationship situation. I'm like, let me take this. And I was like, when he came, he was like, okay, so what are we, where are we going to go today? What are we going to do? I was like, well, I have this little thing. Cause he's like, I think we should be, you know, cause Katrina had just happened not that long ago. And he's like, I think we should do something socially. I was like, well, this could go for either one. You know, mm, whether right. you're disgruntled with your government or your society or whether you're upset in love or you, right. whatever at your job. So I was like, let's try it. So, you know, for me, it comes from anywhere. It can come in the moment when I'm there. It could come when I'm alone. Some things come in my dreams, like if I'm kind of in between subconsciousness and whatever, and I can get out of it fast enough to, <laughs> to voice below it. But Which it song was that? So was that much. Respect? Um, respect was, yeah, in the shower. Like, in you know, I probably- want to go back and listen to that. <laughs> now that they know yeah. the content. Oh my gosh, respect. And it will be on the album. It almost was the single. So, because it's it's got a second line feeling and it's very bouncy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that one. Cool. Respect. That's when I was (laughs) running off. You could tell it's a list. It's a list song that they call it in musical theater, I guess. Does the the melody come at the same time as you're like thinking of the list lyrics? Very it's not very often that the lyrics and the melody come at the same time. I actually more often hear the melody first. It's kind of weird. A lot of times when I'm writing, but I don't want to get hemmed up with the consonants and vowels because I got to get the notes out first. But then what I end up finding myself doing is what vowels ring best on 
the notes, like that sing the notes the best. And then as the subject comes around, I'm figuring out what words or consonants surround those vowels that like, you know, cause I'm always thinking about, you know, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a very lyrically conscious person in the sense of I'm very linguistic and I'm thinking about words a lot, but I never want the words to hamper the sound, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been guilty of that before, but I, I work on it a lot. But yeah, the, the, the melody usually comes first. I pretty much do what a lot of us do, including D'Angelo, you know, be mum, sound like you're mumbling or whatever. But <laughs> like, can we talk then, about that yeah. collaboration? Yeah. By yeah. The way? Okay. Yes. So you won two Grammys, right? Yes, that? I won. It's not too bad. Uh, Also, that New Yorker profile about you on that album was crazy. It wasn't. Look, I don't even know this man, but I just I had to reach out to him and be like, thank you for giving me the golden gate to my bright and shining new path. Because, you know, like for someone to he just nailed it. You know, you, you spend a long time, a good many years like being kind of up under wings Mm -hmm. and like doing so much work I mean I've been writing so much like some of my friends get mad at me I have so much music to that I haven't put out you know but like for someone to say everything like that it was just like and in the New Yorker you know you know (laughs) and him being like I listened to this album and I thought is that Erica Badu I don't know and then he did a deep dive on you and then he was comparing you to like all the jazz greats. Oh my God, who that was, played I for cried. other greats, you know? Like, who is that piano player? Oh, it's Nat King Cole. And like, that's his experience of realizing who you are. It was intense for me. Oh man, I was, you know, it was one of those things. I was on my way to doing something when my friend called me and he read it. He's like, Ken, have you seen this? I was like, what article? I don't know. We didn't agree to anything. You know, he did yeah, it on his own. Because you guys weren't doing oh, wow. press, right? He did it on his own. I was wondering, yeah. I I I think he might have tried to enter. Was that the situation where I, I think he might have tried to interview me, but I didn't. Um, I couldn't get back, and you know it was like so much. It was so yeah. overwhelming at that time, and I still also didn't really know what to say. You know, yeah. and I mean like I, he might have this. I'm trying to think if this is the same person as far as this pro- part mm-hmm. of the process, but I think he might wrote. But he definitely wrote it on his own, no matter what of his own yeah. volition. And like for someone to take it upon himself, like that made me feel like I'm really like, wow, I must, I'm somebody because he would actually take it upon himself to do that. I mean, no, it. And my friend read it aloud for me at like the perfect time when I was mm. at the crux of some really crazy happening, and I was just like. Oh my god! You know, like I something I, crazy, professionally or personally? I just, or? No, personal yeah. stuff. Like, before the Grammys or after? Before, the, before. this was well before because this was he did that article not long after the album came out, mm-hmm. and I wasn't doing press, you know, purposefully, you know. So because D'Angelo wasn't doing press, no, nah, he wasn't doing it, and I kind of felt like, well, I mean, yes, I had a lot to do with this, but like that's the guy, you know. That's so you the wrote guy. on how many of those songs? Eight out of the twelve on that album huge. I did more writing than that but but that's that's what came out as Black Messiah yeah it's like one of the most beloved albums of the last many years not bad I mean I you know it's so it almost was like might as well have been one of my albums yeah yeah for sure because it it was it was it was like it was a dream come true you know it's, it's funny I used to say like 
and there were there were opportunities that came, you know, working with such a purist of an artist and and all the, the process, and sometimes wondering like what's happening. Mm-hmm. You Had know, you guys worked but together then, before that album? No, okay. um, we well we did one song right before or or while I was writing on on the album, mm-hmm. and I did Glass Mountain Trust, which my name's not on the credit. Um, <laughs> Those are those logistics that yeah. slip through the cracks sometimes <laughs> with Mark Ronson on his record collection mm-hmm. album. Um, while I was writing with D, like he just came to me with that. And, and so I, I actually wrote a good, quite a good portion of that song. So that was the one thing we had done before we did this. But we, you know, we we met, I, I met him on the phone and didn't talk and didn't see him in person for a whole year uh, by the time because we could never get coordinated i was touring all the time he's a rock star like you know i'm sure his busy schedule was busy so when we finally got together it was what 2009 when i when i moved to new york and basically when he came on back to new york to start working so we hadn't worked together before but i mean i had opportunities to do my solo stuff that could have maybe taken my solo project and I just kept thinking, you know, he's not the type of person to be won over by who I'll be. Like, maybe I'll just bypass D'Angelo and go become famous. And then he, of course, he'll work with me by then. <laughs> but I was like, no, uh, this is one of those things that I've just, it was hard to take a risk sometimes because you're thinking about the future. But I was just like, I knew it, blowing up and going and getting that Grammy wouldn't mean the same like on my own solo if I just hadn't satiated that dream mm-hmm. too. Like it was almost almost as important as my own dream, you know, and so to do so, I would just take I would just follow my spirit and I'd be frightened. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing, you know, but it was music means that much to me. And I would probably say he might be. I mean, I had somebody asked me a question when I thought about in terms of one person encompassing everything I love about music. He's probably that. You know, and so like it was huge. So how did it start? I mean, how oh did wow. You, I mean, well, we can thank Baba George for this. Yeah, because <laughs> um, like around 2008, George had a birthday party. Um, oh, was it 2008? Yeah. Um, and and I went and somehow it was a second location. So most of us were tired. We're on the party bus outside of the place, ready to go. And then Barbarella, George's daughter, comes up on the bus and she's showing she's showing pictures on the phone. I look, and as we're pulling off, as we're pulling off, I see the picture of D. I'm like, he's in there, he's in there, he's up. Because I've been trying to, look, even with George as my executive producer, I'd asked him, you know, to holler at Rodney Jerkins, but most of all at D'Angelo to produce on my album. I was like, you'll totally do it for you. Because by then, once I was a Funkadelic and, and, and a Prince had become a freshly born Prince, I could look at D and see by the time Voodoo came around that he was... Adelic, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, right. entirely a funkadelic. Right. So, you know, at this, uh, there were a couple near misses of like being in the same building or being about to go to Electric Ladyland, but having to go home or, you know, whatever. And so by this time, I was just like, all right, that's it. I was like, Barbarella, can you please give his number? <laughs> tell him one of the funkadelics wants to write with him, you know, like and just whatever. So she gave him the number about a month later. Then I took two more months because I just wanted to be in the right place mm-hmm, when I made yeah. the call. Well, <laughs> it was the night before Obama was elected and I was in a lay on a layover in Atlanta on my way to Wooten's to record 
to write Promise to Stay Here. I didn't know I was going to be writing sure. Promise to Stay Here or, or which recording. Which is my new single. Mm-hmm, which is my new single. And still, I know it's very Forrest Gumpy. I have to tell. I'm like, <laughs> I love when all the pieces come together. So, yeah. um, so anyways, so I'm on this layover and I'm like, hey, let's just make this call. So I called, you know, D and I'm just like, I, then I didn't know his real name. I was a huge fan. <laughs> like, I felt like he was the one as far as our generation. But I know his favorite color, what his real name was or anything else. <laughs> so you're calling you know, his cell phone? So I'm calling his and cell answered? phone. And he actually answered from an 850 number. This is Tallahassee, like totally oh unknown, God. which is totally would be unlike, you know, the the famous recluse yeah. that we know. So I was just like, I was talking fast. I was like, hello, my name is Christian Foster. I sing with P-Funk. I'm, I'm the redhead, not the white girl. But and I, was, <laughs> and I was like, I've always wanted to work with you. And and he, and he was like, okay, oh, cool. Whatever. You know, so like we talked and probably asked each other a couple questions. And I was like, he told me to send a writing sample to Ben Kane, who's now one of the famous engineers of the project. Um, and and I sent also a picture because, like as we said earlier, it's twenty six of us. I wanted to make sure right. I knew which one <laughs> I was. So, um, and then it just so happened that when he received the email, um, he sent a text as I was leaving Wooten's, you know, to fly back home. Um, and be like, oh man, I thought that was you because it turned out that he had seen me on the Montreux Jazz. We played Montreux Jazz Festival, and those residu- those uh, de- uh, the, that film was rolling around BET Jazz or like those off channels oh, that you have on cable. And so he was like, I already seen you. Just <laughs> you reminded me of me, or I saw I could feel that we'd oh. have a similar sensibility, wow. or that you listened to me, or whatever. And so I was like. Uh. Wow. Okay. But he hadn't said that in the text. He just said, yeah, I would love to work with you, you know, because I thought that was, and I was like, thought that was you. Well, okay, good. You know, have seen me before, maybe. So when we talked, (laughs) when he first called me back, he sang the song that I had sent to him. And I was just like, I was like, whoa. I was like, okay, this is just, he was like, man. And so he liked, he liked the writing. And so he was ready to work, but like, that was that was a probably a whole year before we both got out of our respective woods. Mm-hmm. You know, him being in Virginia, me being in Tallahassee. I wonder so. were you like, oh my god, he's gonna be right like in this whole year, he's doing it without me. Like, I better get there. No, I mean, you know, I actually we we talked a lot. Like, so we would stay in touch and abreast of what's going on. We would, we would almost like make up. We would make up a meeting. His manager would call my manager, and it would kind of be up in the air, and then it would dissolve, and then so. But I never. Fear that necessarily. I, I guess I was just like, well, it's, I would get anxious because I would, I really, you know, I always wanted to make music with this person. So, you know, I was like, man, man. But, but then also somewhere through that time, I had decided to move to New York, you know. So I was like, well, chances are you're going to record in New York or California. And I want to move to New York before I get married or have any children or anybody to worry about. And to know what it feels like, I've never lived anywhere besides Tallahassee yeah. as a base, as a grown-up. Now, I was all over the world 85% of the right. year, but, <laughs> you, you know, so, yeah, I planted roots anywhere yeah. else. And so while I was, you know, I moved, so I moved up here probably about four months, maybe I was in October. He came by like the first of January. So 2009. And also as much as we would talk about the music, talk about what we want to do or whatever, talk about music, 
like he wasn't gonna play he wasn't gonna send me nothing through email mm-hmm. or play it on the phone he played me a couple things on the phone but like not really much and so that day when we met we went directly to the studio and he just started playing me some of the stuff that we would know to be like some things were already existed when I came along and needed you know blank filling like mm-hmm. there were you know bridge might be missing or some 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 lines here and there um but then some were like can't create it from scratch once i once i came around they had they they were inception was and so i had first you know ability to strike them as soon as and and i thought that was really cool because you know this dude can pretty much do he really does everything he's he's even for him to call me to be a, to for lyrics is not even really necessary i just feel like he what i what i did learn from him is being patient with perfection you know (laughs) he he'll go as far as perfect goes and then if perfect runs out he stops until he can come back with the next thing that would just you know do it justice so i guess that's where i came in in those spots but then i'd be able to kick it off on some songs like things where i wrote really strongly on or like till it's done that's a lot while i mean um another life the charade was really like a you know us two like really like really in it um and and also the writing process was different because at first it was various variant at at first he would it was submission and approval like he would just give me stuff and i would kind of work it out do it on voice memo voicemail or something like that and sing it back and he'd say yes or no but then well by the time we got to like charade and things like that we were like sitting in the same room like finishing sentences and his notes would be so great because actually with the charade it's funny he had given me a, a subject initially that was not like you know as deep as this one is so I, I was excited I'd come up with my melodies he'd approved them and so I went home and I wrote an entire song I, I was on the road at the time and I said and I sent it to him right he's like yeah 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 he was like so I heard something <laughs> and so he was and so his part or his melody was like the all we wanted was a chance to talk and so then he gave me one of the lyrics over my that he'd come up with over my melody and I was like, oh, so you want to get deep? So we're going to get to get deep on this song. I'm good with it. Let's go. What do you want to do? And so, you know, it was very like it was it reminded me of, of, of academia because, you know, this person like he didn't go to college, but he's such a student, period. Mm. And he was like, you know, because he was digging on Fran Fran um, Lebowitz (laughs) and so he got hip to like and he was like yeah so like I was thinking you know what if we say something that like James Baldwin would say but like through Dorothy Parker's voice and I was like (laughs) okay now you're making me think here I I love it I love it all day this is why I love working with you but like you know and so crawling through a systematic maze to demise pain in our eyes you know stuff would come and then some things like it was like we both be stuck and it's like what's that word what should we do? And then, yes and, you know you say it at the same time so it was, it was really great we were just really, talking about really that great. the greats are always great students yeah <laughs> oh and, and hand hand. Hand. i mean i would say i could be a i could be a much better student so i don't think i'm great yet but <laughs> but definitely george and d who i spent the most time with as far as icons like those dudes are students, mm-hmm. you know, they're always learning and checking something out and, you know, digging on something. And, and, and that's the other thing that I loved about working with D too, is that his musical interests are so vast. 
Like when I first met him, you know, I was just like, all right, so what you listening to these days? And I thought he was trying to scare me, like, or like throw me off trail. You know, he was like Black Sabbath. I was like, cool. <laughs> so I was like, started checking out. I was like, I'm not really hip, but let me go check out some. And But like, you know, I mean, he was the one who put me on to David Bowie, like in better, deeper respects. You know, that's how Space Oddity came about. Mm-hmm. Us like performing it out on the road. Cause I was like, we should do it. <laughs> um, and, and so like, I mean, just like really, really amazing. Really is that dope. Really is everything and more than I thought like he'd be musically. I was like, well, that's why, you know, you're the one. I mean, look, there are not many, I mean, there's not many young people doing it, you know, even back then, like when I was younger. <laughs> um, <laughs> likes the Stevie Wonders and the Princes and those guys that are like virtuosos on almost everything and and their genius is something that you can't goes beyond comprehension and you know it's it's i feel like that that's what made it so special and i'm so glad and then the people the the other musicians that this man attracts you know because hey great people love great people and so i mean honestly this it was like i would always joke and call them the baby funkadelics (laughs) the vanguard because we were you know but like but I mean, it's like the baddest band in the land. I mean, yeah. all the players, and it's not just that they're good at their instrument. You know, there's I have there's this place that some people, certain people, the way they play or what comes through them when they play just gets me. And they were all in one place, mm-hmm. you know, around yeah. that guy. So, what do you think defines a funkadelic? Woo! Because <laughs> you mentioned it a couple times. I know, and I've said that, in, and and that's and and I'm uh, yes, okay. So a funkadelic, jeez, like, like what there's would it be so about many someone where you look at them, yeah, and, and say, be like, oh, "Wow, you're, you're a funkadelic." Yeah. If in some way you seem aberrant from you know what everybody else is doing, like if there's something about you that really doesn't give a darn you know like like you don't care what somebody else thinks you Uh know because this is you and this is and 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 um like like a lack of a need for everything to be so hyper polished Mm -hmm. you know like having a little edge Mm -hmm. like that's to me what i think of is like wow she's a delic you know like honestly i think rihanna's kind of delic you know Mm. and beyonce goes back and forth you know between like miss america and being delic and i look as a matter of fact let me just say i watch lemonade and i absolutely love it and so i can't believe you have not brought up lemonade yet (laughs) in this podcast i've been waiting the whole time sorry but i love the i love the dvd i bought the dvd on target and i love it and i watched (laughs) it two nights ago because my Mm. one of my girlfriends who i definitely respect the opinion was like oh my gosh mm. like it's, it's so many layers and so anyways th- she's turning into she's definitely probably always been a hidden delic um <laughs> but just that appreciation for like so much you know like being able to take it in and not be scared of it or 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 wipe sideways you know going taking risks i feel yeah. like that's really a large part of what being delic is taking cool. risks so what's delic about the new album <laughs> Tell us well, about it. <laughs> well, wow, Delic. Well, I'm 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 risking to 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 do soul at a time when soul is giving a giving a hard road to hoe, as mm-hmm. my mom would say, coming from the country. And so, <laughs> um, 
yeah, I feel like in that way it's delic, but there's it's definitely got some funk up in it. I think what's also delic is what I found to be funk is best described as an undiluted fusion of all genres, you know. And I feel like I don't know this undiluted, but I I think that I have a nice fusion of a lot of elements, which I think is delic as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then it's me. And I'm a delic. There you go. All right. <laughs> Short answer. All right. So it comes out in June. So it comes out in June, which is basically like now. now so, yeah. And I'm Check working on a video, ladies. Oh, yeah? All right. The video is almost done, actually. For which song? For Promise to Stay Here. Cool. So we're going to have what's, a what's video. Ooh, well, it's very, 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 very... Very, very, very promise to stay here. Okay. That's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. You know, it's definitely one of my dimensions. Um, and I, I have to say I'm a multidimensional individual. I think we are multidimensional. Some of us prefer to, to remain in one, one dimension or we're more comfortable in just a couple. But um, I feel like there's so many sides to any person. And I think that I, what I've realized is I can't be too worried about um, what sides I'm showing because there's so many me's. I won't remember who I said I wasn't yesterday, yeah. you know. So, like, maybe if you think, like, I feel I found this to happen. Um, someone is deep or socially conscious, you know, or uh, intelligent. They can't also be sexy and they can't also, you know, embrace those things, mm -hmm. you know, or if you're spiritual, you have to be all wrapped up from head to toe. I mean, that's fine if that's, you know, where you feel comfortable inside of your piety. But like, you know, I mean, there's just lots of dimensions of sound going So, <laughs> I mean, we could spend another hour on that. You'll have to come back and we're only going to talk about that, but I'm not going to let myself get started. Um, all right. What song are you going to play for us today? So today I'm doing Promise to Stay Here acoustically with an awesome guitar player named Sherrod Barnes. All right. So, yeah. Cool. We're excited. <laughs> all right. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Kendra, thank you. That was thank awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, ladies.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.